0: So I want to take you with me to a story. This happened some years ago in Germany. The woman's name was Maria Brunner. It's a kind of an everyday experience, but something unique happened. So Maria uh, was in a difficult spot with her three kids and her husband. He had become unemployed and was having trouble, wasn't finding work for quite a while. She ended up adding on added works and jobs, particularly cleaning homes, was doing a lot to care for the whole family, was feeling a bit unappreciated and just worn out. And then on top of it, she found out that her husband had been keeping secret tickets he was getting, parking tickets. Turned out he had $5,000 worth of them. And in Germany, the owner of the vehicle is the one charged with it, not the driver. So she found out in three months, if it didn't get resolved, she would go to jail for three months. So things continued to transpire to the point where the police came to her house that day expecting frustration, anger, all that they get every time. And instead, they were greeted by her with great smiles and excitement that confused all of them, which point she announced to them, I'm so thrilled to now have a place to go where my meals are provided for. I have a hot shower every day, and I can actually rest and have relaxation for a few months. No lie, that's what happened. And off she went. I wonder for us, given the last year and given life in general, how many of us might say, please, someone take me away for a while. Someone give me a break from all of this. Perhaps it doesn't come the way it did for her. Perhaps it's like many of us, even those of us who are, are gainfully employed, many take vacations these days, take time off, but we're still always connected to work. And in case you don't know, that wrecks a vacation. Have you had it where just one email comes in and suddenly you've left the vacation and it takes days to recover, and research shows it's completely taking us out, and we don't know how to rest, and we don't know how to relax, and we don't know how to find a refuge in the midst of all this pain and struggle we have. Now, along comes what we're in, which is summer, and boy, let's be honest, where do we live? We live in a place of recreation, don't we? We are good at recreation, Amen. Sometimes we're so good at it, we forget the rest of life, but we go and we recreate. And I don't know about you, I've been thrilled that things are back up and going, but I did realize I got a little accustomed to a smaller town in the summer. I was a little mad that people were actually in my town when I was trying to enjoy my town. I'm a a townie. Oh, no. We have this struggle. Well, what's fascinating and this is where we've been in the series is what does this actually mean how do we connect how do we connect summer culture with missional living how do we look at recreation differently we've called it recreation something that God's doing and to build that foundation today to look where we're going to in this week of it each week we've looked at different facets I want to take you back to something God designed at the beginning of creation In fact, you may or may not even be aware of it. When God creates the heavens and the earth, he does these things in pairs each day, wonderful things that happen. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates light and dark. He actually creates the sun and the moon. He creates land and the sea. He creates fish and the animals to fill it. Then he creates man and woman. We call them the binaries of creation. And each time when the day is done, guess what he says? He made it and it was good. And it doesn't mean good like not bad. It means good like wow. What he made was wonderful. In fact, on the third day, it says it was good twice, and in the Jewish culture, they love to do weddings on the third day, on Tuesday, because they figure it's a doubly blessed day, let's get married on that day. And now many of you are thinking we should have done that too, I know. Just an interesting side note, I told it last hour, no one cared either, but I do, you're stuck. So, so moving past that, though, as he finishes the work of creation, there's two accounts of creation, in case you don't know, and they're not meant to be kind of detailed in analysis. They're told two very different ways, and they're both poetic and artistic. But I want you to hear the end of the first one and what it says. It says it this way, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he, crea- he seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he blessed rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, a couple of things I want you to see here. By the way, when it says he rested, that is actually the word uh, Shabbat, which is where we get the word Sabbath from. It's everything else we ever hear about Sabbath comes from that word. That's where it comes from. All of our history and Western cultures that way. But I want you to see a couple of things. One is that God, the first thing God ever made holy was not a place or a person, it was time. And it meant that God wired into the very rhythms of life a place of sacredness in time, a place of resting in time. That's what Sabbath means, to rest, to live differently. Now, I tell you that just to begin. I'm assuming you probably have varying degrees of what you understand about Sabbath. If you grew up in West Michigan, which I did not. I never even knew any day was any differently, even though I'd gone to church. We had freedom, we're Christians, it doesn't matter. I got to West Michigan and I found out all these christian Reformed people, they hide their antennas in their, in their attics because they weren't supposed to watch TV. That's a whole nother thing. And then they always celebrated Sabbath, which means they stayed dressed up and their kids sat on a couch all afternoon. And the parents always had nap time, but that's another conversation too. Uh, and, uh, What's fascinating is people did not grow up loving it, they grew up feeling like it was a burden, oftentimes. That's what we can do. And we say in Christ we're free, so who needs it, get rid of it. But we don't look at what it was intended for or what it means and what it might even mean for us and what it points to even more. So I wanna show you there's two times it's listed as a commandment to the Jews. The first time is in Exodus where the 10 Commandments are given for the first time. And it says it this way, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, when he says remember, it actually goes on in the commandment, I didn't write it all out, to tell us that, hey, God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested and made it holy. Follow his pattern. There's six days of work, there's a day of rest, and in it, it's sacred and holy. There's a rhythm to life. You know how many days in a week we have, right? It's seven. It's not a surprise. It means there's an actual rhythm to life. Now, I I don't want to miss this. It's not central to what we're going to talk about today, but... Many of you and most of you probably do not spend a day of complete disconnection where you stop working, you rest, you learn to contemplate and delight the Lord, and you just have a great day. Now, I know I can't get you to slow down all the way around, but if I could even just get you to slow down for a day, I think you'd taste it enough to train, start changing the rest of your lives. So, it's not central to where we're going today, but at no extra charge, you get to know, start practicing a Sabbath. And in case you don't know, this commandment's given before. Like when God first does it, there's no Israel, there's no Ten Commandments. He just created it this way. We tend to go, it's, we're free of it now, it doesn't matter. And we are free of it, but it does matter. This is the second time it's listed. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. This time, the author, this time when Moses is telling them, when God has told Moses, he's saying, oh, remember how you were in Egypt, how you worked for 400 plus years, no break, nothing. God brought you out. Don't ever forget he brought you out. Always practice Sabbath because living in a Sabbath will be an anchor to your life. Now, I bring that up today, and we're going into this today for multiple reasons. One is... We are all people in need of rest. That's a simple application. But much more is what did Sabbath mean and what does it point to? And what it points to means something for us missionally, the way we live. Make no mistake, you're free. I'm not trying to legislate how you do it. I'm just trying to point out that guess what? If God made a rhythm on the earth to be this way, you might do well to follow it. You might even benefit from it. And if in your mind you say there's no way we can rest for a day at the time that we're most wealthy, with most of the advantages of life, with everything going our way, if that's what we say, we are basically in a new Egypt in bondage that we can't do it. It's our own struggle. And it's a lie, that's all I can tell you. Now, I wanna go beyond that though. Sabbath is important because what happened is Israel had multiple things they, they regulated and they kind of worked on, Sabbath was a weekly practice. They had feasts throughout each year that were reminders of how God was moving in them. Each was set to be a place they slowed down and rested in his presence. We say, Sabbath, you are loved for who you are, not what you do. In case you don't know it, Adam and Eve are created on day six. Their first day on the planet is a day of Sabbath. That means they rested and then they worked from rest. They don't work and then rest from work. I want you to understand there's a big difference between the two. We don't work and go, now I get a break. We start from rest, which means we start from connection with God, and from there we work out of it. It's a principle that should shift how we even think about recreating and what we do when we're off because it means something different. It's a different way to live. Now, in addition to Israel having these practices, they also were given that the land was to have a Sabbath year every seven, and then they were to have a year of Jubilee, which meant everything got reset. Everything was freed and new. Now, the reason those things matter is Sabbath isn't just a practice that was given that we're now free of, it was a way of life and it was a way to connect to God that points to the very coming of Jesus. In other words, when Jesus comes, everything changes and you and I are actually invited to live in Sabbath in a new way. To live in rest in a new way, to bring his kingdom in a new way. And we understand it this way Jesus' kingdom is begun to show up and beginning to come. When he returns, it will be the full on Sabbath, it will be Jubilee, and we'll be in the completeness of his kingdom. Whew. So I want you to get a picture that Sabbath is new for us and it's different. Now, I want to point it out because we're going to look at Jesus on the Sabbath. That's what we're going to do today. And I want us to consider something. Israel had, of all the things they wrote about, meaning all the things that they decided they need to talk about from all the laws that are there, the one they spoke about most and wrote about most was Sabbath. Of all the things they talked about, this was so important to them, they wanted to know what does it mean to rest? What does it mean to work? What does it mean to this, this, and that? So they literally went to their rabbis and said, hey, is it work if I... If I walk two blocks, they, they literally are areas drawn out saying you can't walk farther than this on the Sabbath. It's called a Sabbath's journey. You'll read it in scripture. There are different things they could do. Can I cook right now? Can I not cook right now? Can I mow the lawn? I, that'd be the kind of things we'd be asking. No one has asked me if they should mow their lawn on Sabbath. Feel free to, I'm glad to give you my two cents. So there were a lot of rules to this and the reason was it was so central to how they lived. There are three things that happen when Israel walks away from God. They start worshiping other gods. They align with other gods alongside of God, this pluralistic way of living. They start forsaking those in need and the poor. And the third thing is they stop practicing Sabbath because those three things seem to anchor them in who he is. And the Sabbath gave direction to their week and how they lived. Now, having said that and all the rules, I want to take you into this one excerpt and account. But I want to start by telling you each gospel gives us a different way of thinking about what went on and they kind of have their own way of looking at it. So in Mark, which we're not gonna look at Mark specifically today, but in Mark, he begins his account with Jesus coming into his ministry, gives the early part of that in terms of the baptism, he goes into the desert and goes into this wilderness experience where he's tempted, comes out, invites the people that are gonna disciple with him and the next thing he does, the first thing he does, is he basically goes to a synagogue on Sabbath and he begins to teach he begins to explain what it means and it says they were amazed at the way he taught because he taught as one with authority. In case you don't know what they mean by this is most people that were even rabbis could just reiterate what the scripture said. They taught that when Jesus taught with authority, it means he interpreted it. He had so much authority to explain what things meant to them and they noticed it. Now as he's doing this and teaching, There is a man there who has a demonic possession and begins to scream out to Jesus and says this, we know who you are, you are Jesus of Nazareth, what do you want with us? And Jesus does this really simply, he says, be silent and come out of him. And what I want you to picture is, on Sabbath, the kingdom came. In the presence of Jesus and who he was, he brought freedom to someone in bondage. I want you to understand Sabbath is a bigger idea than just we rest. It's an idea that Jesus' kingdom breaks through, that that's what Jesus is doing. Sabbath itself points to Jesus bringing who he is. The resurrection brings new life to us and Sabbath is not meant to just be a day, it's a way of living, it goes right from there after he leaves this place. He goes to Peter's house. His mom, Peter's mom, is, has a fever. All it says is Jesus grabbed her hand and helped her up and, her, and basically their fever's gone. He, he frees her fever. Again on Sabbath. Now remember, there's all these things that don't work on Sabbath. Jesus is doing all this. Right after that, it tells us in Mark that all these people came to Jesus after sunset and he healed a bunch of people. Now the reason after sunset matters is in the Jewish mind, there is evening and there is morning every day, meaning when the sun sets, it's the beginning of the day, and the next day when it sets, it, the new day starts. So they waited till after Sabbath, and all of them came to Jesus and asked him to heal him. Do you know why? Because you can't work on the Sabbath. So they all waited because they don't think they should be asking until the Sabbath is done. They think it's meant for this. Now, I want you to understand it because now we're gonna look at what Jesus does. He does it over and over and over again. And it really matters to us how we think about his rest and what it means he's doing. And I'll say this before we get into the passage. You can really think of this in three dimensions. One of them is that you might align with the people who are struggling that he heals and go, I need God's touch and kingdom today. We are all about asking for that. I hope you will also look at it and say, if Jesus walked this way, what does it mean for me to now walk in Sabbath and bring about his kingdom to the people around me, even in rest? And then there are also religious leaders that basically are arguing with him. And you're gonna have to ask the question, are there places I'm religious that I don't like how Jesus is moving and I want it to be the way I want it? I just wanna remind you, you're gonna be looking at all of those things and asking, what do you wanna say to me, God? So here we are, we're in Luke. And here's the account. On Sabbath, it's a Sabbath, Jesus is teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. I want you just to consider with me the pain she must have been going through for decades that everybody saw her hunched over and walking in pain. And in our day and age, we probably would have lots that would mock that because that seems to be what we're like. Maybe they were then, I don't know. But what I want us to begin with is, you know what Jesus did? He looked at her, and we know this because we know from lots of other passages, it says he had compassion on her. In other words, he felt the struggle she was feeling and felt compassion for her. Now, I wanna start there because let's be honest, most of us, most of us on the planet do not naturally have compassion. We sometimes think we do, but the way you know you don't is all you have to do is tell a story about someone else. And if you say, I wouldn't have done that if I had issues, I would have done it this way, you probably don't have compassion. Because we always assume we'd handle things better than anyone else. And this is a pattern in Jesus, by the way. He gets alone with the Father. And don't forget, while he's divine, he's also human. So he connects to the Father. The Spirit fills him. When he comes out of those times, every time it tells us he had compassion. Something about his being alone with the Father seems to ignite or accelerate that. So the first thing we want to do is begin to ask, God, would you help me to look at the people around me and see them with your eyes? God, to have the emotions they have, to understand their pain, and just feel differently than I do right now. Imagine if you and I just had the compassion of Jesus. That's all that changed today. Do you think it might change how we are with the people around us? And make no mistake, this is happening on Sabbath. This is one of the things I wanna get at is I'm fearful. We, we think recreation is vacation and it's vacation from our faith. And yet Sabbath always points to who Jesus is. There's something beautiful that happens in it, not just for us to rest from it. So we know he has compassion. We know we're called to it. It continues. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Does that ever excite you when you read that? I get so concerned when I have passages like this that we tend to put on our modern skeptical lens and go, well, we tell a whole bunch of reasons why it doesn't matter. Or we even tell ourselves that was Jesus and he doesn't want that now. I mean, can you imagine for us to begin to do this? And there's really only two simple things he does. He speaks and he sets a hand on her. i made a practice of this when I pray for people. I just will say, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? And I, so, so I'll tell you this summer what happened to me. It was unique, and I'm not telling you because this always works. I pray for lots of things and for lots of people that don't change, and I'm, I'm very adept at telling them why it doesn't after I pray for them. So I've been doing a study through just Jesus' life and watching all the healing that he does and then looking through the early church. And I'm asking God, I know there's more. I know it's not where where it could be. And I don't know why, I'm just gonna keep asking. So on one particular day, I happened to be walking in the building and praying, praying for you guys. And uh, I had gotten a message from Julie Burns, our, uh, our administrative director, that she was gonna have to head home. Her leg was really giving her a bunch of trouble. She really couldn't move it. She was in a lot of pain. And immediately the thought comes, go pray for healing. And uh, so I go, I tell her, hey, do you mind if I just put my hand on you? Tell me what's going on. I ask questions, which what I always do when you're praying for somebody. Tell me where the pain is. I ask the Lord, will you touch her? You know, I don't know what this is, but I'm asking you to just move. From what I know, I'm praying. And I step out of her office and assume, well, that was a nice prayer. Maybe over time it'll get a little better. You know, I kind of tell myself things. And I hear a scream as I leave the room. And it kind of freaks me out a little bit. And Julie runs out and says, my leg feels better. It's gone. The pain is gone. Now, the great part was I was thanking God at the same time I was kind of looking at my own skepticism and go, why do I struggle so hard just to ask when I know he wants to move? And, uh, and I'll tell you, I'm not saying, I have lots of track records. I can hear lots of stories where I pray and nothing happens. But I have been shocked to see how much more is going on when I'm willing to step out. And this isn't just something we look and see Jesus doing, it's saying this is what he wants to do. You realize when we look at rest and Sabbath, it's not just a break from things, it's entering into a deeper connection to who he is, and who he is as the one who's made Sabbath, is the one who's bringing new life in his kingdom, how fitting that he would actually bring it on a Sabbath, isn't it? Now despite all of this and how well he brings it and how he brings it, He finds out there's opposition, indignant indignant because Jesus had healed the Sabbath, the synagogue leader. So this is the presiding official in that building, in that that congregation. He said to the people, listen, there are six days for work. That's exactly how he said it to you. So come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. Are any of you shocked at that reaction? I mean, come on. Hey, Jesus, it's great. I mean, 18 years, I understand, but you could have waited one more day. I mean, we're trying to rest here. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? Part of what I want you to hear in that is do we oppose what God wants to do because we set a pattern for how it should be? You know, I don't think we're militant about Sabbath, but I wonder, do we say, God, you don't move on vacation. It's a vacation. God, you don't move when I'm doing this because I'm doing this. God, you don't move when you can do it any other time. I'm vacationing from everything, including you. And we miss what God might wanna do. Or let me say it another way, I guarantee you God will move in ways that will not gonna make us happy. It's actually one of my fears, is God will move in such a way that I will find offensive or somehow invasive and it will make me question because I don't want it to go that way. There is a danger we have to have in our fear of this. And I love One of my favorite sections in the scriptures in in Acts when these Jews are mad at how the early church is growing and these guys are having a huge impact. And this one wiser, older elder says to everybody, hey, listen, if it's not from God, it'll stop. But if it is from God, you won't stop it, so stop trying. What if you and I took a posture that God might move in a way we're not expecting? Said, I'm going to let go of that and I'm just going to trust you to move in this. Because he's not going to be stopped if he moves. and He's going to move in ways that you and I don't think make sense. You do realize that, don't you? I don't want to be part of denying it. And yet this man is, and he, we know, like we don't know all of it, but we know he had a threat because he wanted life to be the way he wanted it to be. And make no mistake, Jesus will shake up our lives. We love it when he shakes up others, and we love it when we get good things from him. But shaking up my life, that's not in the cards, and yet it is. If your life hasn't been shaken up, you probably are missing something. He continues, the Lord answers him, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it and give it water? Shouldn't not this woman then, this daughter of Abraham who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Why would you not want her to have it? You take care of your animals. You do these things on Sabbath. In case you don't know, that's one of the principles. Always, there are 619 commandments. There's this huge amount of commandments. Do you know that every one of them, you can violate them if it's for life? In other words, life trumps the rule. Whatever helps, preserves, brings life can always trump it. That's why Jesus is citing this, saying, listen, if you have some animal, you're not supposed to work. You go work because you want to save the animal. If something else is going on, you go and do it because you will save the person. That's what you do because the rules don't make us submit. It's God who we do this for and each other. You know, Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath. He said Sabbath was made for us, not us for that. He wants to bring life. That's the principle that trumps every rule. Life always trumps the rules. Jesus, when he's with his disciples, they go and eat on the Sabbath out in the fields and they have to take the things off of it, which is a symbol that they're poor. And when they take the food off of it, it's considered work. But when you're poor, you're allowed to work because it's sustaining life. He cites a story with David and his early friends that go into a consecrated place and take food they normally shouldn't because it sustains life. You're allowed to live differently. That's all he's saying is you are missing the idea of life. You're so bound up in your rules, you've forgotten why they're there, in essence. And even our rest, I think we forget why it's there and what God wants to do with it. It's not just to be restored, it's to be bringing and made new. We are living into a new Sabbath as this kingdom has begun to come, and we're to bring it to others in need. Their response when he said all this, the opponents were humiliated. You can see why, and beautifully. People were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. There's this mix going on as Jesus begins to move that people are both delighted and angry. Some are delighted, some are angry. They see the power of it. The others that don't want it to change struggle. And this is true case after case if you go through the Gospels. In Luke 14, if we moved on, you'd find another story where Jesus is teaching on the, or he's with some Pharisees in their house. There's a person with swelling in their body. And Jesus just asks the question of all these religious leaders, hey, is it good or not good to heal on the Sabbath? Not any response, crickets chirping. He's frustrated, and then he says, or then he actually heals him. And then after he heals him, he says, what if if you had a child or an ox? Would you help them on Sabbath? Nothing. He sees their opposition. You go to another passage, another story. There's a man with a shriveled hand, and in the synagogue, Jesus has the person stand up for everybody to see. And then he asks everyone in the room, is it lawful to do good or to kill on the Sabbath? No response. (laughs) Jesus, so frustrated, says to the man, stretch out your hand, and boom, it grows. Man, it's awesome, isn't it? Don't you want to see that kind of power moving in God? because you and I are just gonna do whatever he says, whenever he says, however he says it. So frustrated with them. (laughs) So broken by what they do. And then they're frustrated, he sees their stubborn hearts, he again asks the question, they don't respond. They then go out and they plot to kill him. I I want you to understand this, and this goes on story after story. There'll be a group that love it and are moved by it, and another group that wanna kill him, and ultimately leads to that. That that's the kind of thing that happens when the kingdom moves. Everyone will not love it. There will be frustration and there will be joy. And you kind of have to ask, where am I in the story today? Am I ready to live like Jesus? Am I fighting the work of Jesus because it's done the way I don't want it to? Or am I a person in need going, would you just cry out? I'm in need right now. I don't know which it'll be, but I know God wants to speak to all of us in this. And I wanted it to be a simple application, but I know it's a complicated piece. In fact, it may feel overwhelming to you. And you might think this is the end of the story, but I want you to show two things that he says after this that I believe relate to these stories to encourage us. This is where Jesus actually says right after this, hey, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. In other words, he's giving a picture of the kingdom being something very small that grows to something we can't contain. He gives a second story in case they miss it. Hey, what else should I compare it to? You know what? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. I love this because right after we read the story, that let's be honest, is, is anyone overwhelmed thinking I'm gonna pray and ask a shriveled hand to come back? That's overwhelming. Then he says, guess what? I just want you to have a mustard seed. I just want you to take some step of faith. I just want you to do something that moves in this direction. You know, I was tempted, you'll you'll see, we we wanted to call this week that you're deployed as prayers. I wanted to say you're, you're deployed as healers, and I think you are, but I think it's overwhelming. But what if you just take a small step to begin to pray for people around you in need? What if you begin to ask God for compassion And what if you even did this when you're away and on vacation? Will you help me see the people around me? You know, I have found a rekindling of my own life of intercession that I am moving harder and more readily at continuing to pray for people and issues. And I'm finding a mustard seed growing. So I'll tell you one story, an extended family member I reach out to different ones different times just asking them how I can be praying for them and this one's not a follower of Jesus and they told me, my adult children are really hard for me right now, I'm really struggling. So I'll pray for it. Ran into the person last week, he'd been praying for about a month and a half and I don't think he even remembered I was praying for it, I, I didn't ask this, but he told me, I'm having the best time with my kids right now. I can't remember a better time. I thought, I'm encouraged. I know he's not gonna give me credit for it and I'm not taking it because God moved anyway but I believe God moved. Let me tell you another one. I, I, I had a friend who invited another gentleman that I don't know to come meet with me. His wife was divorcing him. And uh, it was sad. I met with him, just heard kind of his pain and encouraged him. And I just continued to pray for him and check in. And I checked in again this week and I got a text yesterday saying, hey, I just wanna let you know my wife stopped the divorce. And uh, right now we're trying to work on our marriage and I'm trying to build some things in my life that I hadn't built before. Now I don't know what it will all lead to I know I'm praying and I'm asking for the kingdom and that mustard seed just keeps getting a little bigger, a little bigger. When I prayed over Julie and she shouted and walked around, I was like, you know what? The seed got a lot bigger that day too. And make no mistake, I pray for lots of friends that I don't see it in the moment, but I'm going to keep going after it. And I wonder what might happen if you and I started just going after the people around us. We didn't just say, I'll pray for her. We didn't just say, maybe later. What if you and I actually said to people, people not having faith, hey, do you mind if I just pray for you right now? Hey, is it okay if I just put my hand on your shoulder? You know, I've never had somebody say, don't talk to me and don't touch me. During COVID, they didn't want that, but that was okay, I wasn't asking. And they'll make jokes, but man, I have never seen a time when that hasn't been meaningful and meaningful for them. And the funny thing is, even if they don't like it in the moment, I keep praying I'm, a, I'm an annoying prayer. I take the whole w- widow's thing, the whole thing of continuing I will I will nag God if that's what, to, I don't care what it is, I'm gonna keep going after this. Because I think he calls us to that. And I find my heart for it grows when I just check back in. How are you doing? What's going on? I'm gonna keep praying for this. I have one friend right now that I know he's in despair and I told him, I got enough faith for both of us, I'm gonna keep praying. Because I think the kingdom's changing. I think Sabbath is a pointing to a new way of life. And I think God wants us to be people that look for it and move towards it, but it will always take acts of faith. No one's gonna convince you and then you'll step out. The joy is as you step, mustard seeds get bigger. The joy is as you step out, things knead through dough. I hope you're getting a picture of what it can be because I wanna be a part of a community that are people that'll go, I'll pray. I'm gonna keep praying. You know, the funny thing is, and this is what, what reminds me, it's true, My friends that are not Christians now ask me to pray. They tell me things going on. People don't tell you that unless they see something happening. How about you and me become people they ask? How about we don't just look at summer as some time to recreate, it's a time to recreate, it's a time that we bring the Sabbath life to people. What if you and I are deployed as prayers What if you and I are deployed to actually pray for people? What if you and I, that we carry small seeds of faith that Jesus invites us to grow as we step out and pray for others in need? Don't you want to be part of something like that? I don't want church to be a nice little thing we argue about and try to have these little beliefs we just talk about privately. It is a faith that changes us. And we change the world through his power, not through the things we fight and argue about. Never. I always go back to one of the Quotes in Isaiah that is quoted about Jesus. It says basically a bruised reed uh, he will not break. The whole thing of a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It's literally the way it says he will bring justice to the world, meaning Jesus heals the weak and lame and that changes the world. It even in that passage says he won't be on a street corner shouting. In other words, it won't be this demonstration where he fights for things. It will be this power that overwhelms in the places and we never expect it. You want to change the world. Why don't you just look and ask for compassion for the people around you and begin to pray for God to move and see what happens. I want to pray for us. And we will celebrate communion to finish our time. And in that, I'm asking God to meet you. You may be a person in need and I want Jesus to touch you. I'm not saying get past it and go help other people. So I want you to receive that. But I want most of us to be able to go, God, would you give me faith to take some step God, would you help me to be a person of compassion? God, would you help me to become someone that actually begins to look for your kingdom and believe you do things that you promised you'd do to change the world around me? And God, would you weed out religiosity from me where I do it in a way I think it has to be this way that you move, and I'll say whatever way I surrender. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to meet each person where they need you today. God, I pray for any among us who are wounded and in pain and struggling. I pray for those with depression. God, I'm praying that you'd bring your kingdom and bring hope where they're just down. I pray for those with chemical imbalances. You would restore chemistry. I pray for those with broken limbs. You would heal and return body parts together. God, I'm praying for those who are ill that you would bring healing and life. I'm praying for hope. Or there's despair, would you lift clouds and move in power by the power of your spirit, Lord? And in the same way, Lord, I ask for each of us as followers of you that we will increasingly grow with hearts of compassion, that we would begin to see the people around, me, the, around us the way you do instead of the way we think. And Lord, would you begin to bring your kingdom as we step out in faith? Would you take a mustard seed and grow it with each expression to something bigger and bigger and bigger? We want to be people of faith, people that bring your kingdom, bring a new Sabbath to people in need. I ask you to move among us in the name and power of Jesus. Amen.